let me just tell you a little bit about me so you know why I'm here and why would I do what I do. I live just north of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, my husband and I have eight children and six grandchildren. And in 1995, I was a patient in a mental hospital. So welcome to the so that's my story, and I hope you won't think I'm too flip about mental illness, but if you do, I would say, as I have 15 times before, that's my story, that's how I share it, and that's the story that brings me to you today. So welcome, friends, to Consider Yourself Hugged, episode 16. Today's hug, hello, fellow worrywarts. I am Dr. Tammy West, here every week to bring you tips on living a life that brings you mental and emotional well-being. Um, I heard one time early in my life that Mark Twain once said, I have been through some terrible things in my life. Some of them actually happened. So Mark Twain was probably what we would call a worrywart, which is defined as, let me read it. And this is Merriam-Webster. I always like to go back to the original Webster dictionary. Maybe it's my age. So a worrywart is a person who is inclined to worry unduly. So we've had a session before on anxiety, which is very, very similar, but oftentimes we use this word worry. And I wanted to give you some tips on how to to overcome that worry. I'm guessing since you're listening to this particular podcast, um, either you just love everything I say, I'm laughing actually, the LOL, or you're pretty familiar with the term worrywart. In fact, I probably go as far as to say you may have been called one in your life. Um, I was reading some research, well, it's been a while ago, um, and this one particular study that I read said that we have between 12 and 50,000 thoughts every single day, and half of them are negative. Half! That is not the kind of life I want to lead. Because truly, if you think about it, when it comes to the way that we live out each of our days, we have control over what we think and what we say and do. And that's really about it. You know, I I can't control what other people do or say to me. I can't control most of the events that are surrounding me. So at least I control what I think and how I speak and how I respond. Um, I'm not a big quote person, but I did read an anonymous quote once that said, every thought is a seed. If you plant crab apples, do not expect on harvesting golden delicious. So I thought that was kind of great. I like the visual. You know, imagine yourself out in the garden and you're planting golden delicious seeds out there instead of crabapple seeds. And you can even ask yourself that question. Um, are my thoughts for crabapples or are my thoughts for golden delicious? One of my very favorite stories to just talk about the impact of your thoughts is really a pretty simple story. It wasn't anything major. It wasn't a trauma. Nobody was hurt. Nobody died. It wasn't hugely significant. But I have remembered it for, I'm going to say about probably 35 years, like since the day it happened. And that's when I went to prom. And I wrote about this in my first book. So if you've read Life Without the Monsters, you've read this story. So I didn't go to prom when I was a senior. I've also told the story before, school wasn't a really great time for me. I didn't have a lot of friends, and I certainly didn't go to prom. But the year after I graduated, I was dating a boy who, a guy, who was a senior, and so he took me to his senior prom. And it was such a beautiful day. I mean, I remember it was sunny, it was gorgeous. I spent the day getting ready. Nowadays, you know, there's the whole, all the girls go out and have all these things done. But for me, at least, I don't know if it was the time period or just our finances, but 
I did my hair. I laid out in the sun. I put my makeup on. I had this beautiful puffy blue ball gown. I had these little blue hair ribbons. It was gorgeous. My boyfriend brought me this beautiful blue carnation. It, it was perfect. And we walked into the building. And remember, I had, I had not gone to prom. So this was pretty magical for me to go because I'd never thought that I would. So we walk into the building and it's decorated and it's it's just magical. It's wonderful. And we walk around and we start to get comfortable. And then I look around and notice that the other guys in the room had these little bitty flowers on that you might know are called boutonnieres. I didn't think to buy a boutonniere. I didn't know anything about prom. I didn't live in a world where we did anything that was sort of common and I guess air quotes normal. I just didn't know. So I looked at my boyfriend and I said... I didn't get you a flower. I didn't get you a boutonniere. And of course, he's a guy and he says, I really don't care. I don't need a flower. It doesn't matter. But the rest of the night, and if you are a worrywart, then you probably know that was the focus my whole night that he didn't have. I'm not even going to call it a boutonniere because really what it is, it's a flower. And I'm obsessing because he didn't have a flower. That is all I remember from prom. Absolutely, except for the, the part about getting ready. I remember nothing else. I was so happy to go there and my whole night was ruined by this needless undue worry. So I know it's kind of a silly story. There wasn't anything huge. I didn't lose a job. I didn't lose a friend. I wasn't sick. It was just that my boyfriend didn't have a flower, but it was huge to me. Why do we think those kinds of things? Why do we worry so much about small, insignificant events or we worry about something in the future that, like Mark Twain said, probably never happens? You know, I get a lot of my best advice from the Bible, so I'm going to go there for a minute. And we think about what our thoughts are supposed to be like. We are supposed to think on things that are true and honorable and right and pure lovely and admirable, excellent and worthy of praise. And I think, how many times do I say mean, hateful things to myself in my mind? You know, things like, oh my gosh, what an idiot. You are so stupid. How could you do that? How could you have said that to the person? Now what have you done? Now what's going to happen? You know what I mean? Or what if I get up tomorrow and this happens or that happens? Ugh, just kind of makes you crazy. I really believe there are three primary reasons why we worry. Number one, we just don't know any other way. We know that when we start thinking a thought over and over and over, we actually wire our brain in a way that predisposes us to default there for our entire lives. Okay, It doesn't mean that it can't be changed, but if we don't change it, then that's the nerve pattern. So I believe many of us just don't know any other way. We've grown up our entire lives using phrases, and you've heard me say how bad this is before. Phrases like, well, that's just me. That's just how I am. I'm sorry. No, it's not. It may be part of you, and there is the genetics, but it's something we can work with. The second reason I believe we worry is that we equate it with planning, and this is huge. We sometimes see worrying as planning. We see them as the very same thing. We think that it was as we sit there and stew and ruminate over what happened during the day or what might happen the next day, we think that we're planning. But it doesn't work out that way because your emotions are involved. So you're really not planning, you're just ruminating. And the third reason I think we worry is because we equate it with caring, right? So if I hadn't worried about not getting my boyfriend a flower, well, then maybe that means that I don't care. 
So it's kind of a weird thing, right? So if I'm not worried, what kind of person am I? You know, I said this before with when we talked about guilt. If you don't feel guilty about something, what kind of a person are you? So we it's we think it's a natural state and we default to that. So I believe these are the three primary reasons why we worry. So we're here in this episode to work on changing your thoughts around to thoughts that are going to be better for you and nicer to you. How do we get away from that type of thinking, that worrying, especially if if you've done it your entire life? I have six steps I want you to do. Six steps I want you to take that will help you break this habit you have of worrying. So here we go. Step number one is to recognize that you are needlessly worrying. I know it sounds simple, but remember earlier I said that we equate worrying with planning? And, and I've actually heard people say, well, I worry about it and then it doesn't happen. So that's what I'll do. If I worry, then this bad thing will not happen. We've got to recognize, this is step number one for sure. We just have to recognize that no, that's a needless worry. Whatever it is that you're worried about, just because it didn't happen doesn't mean that it didn't happen because you worried about it. It probably wasn't going to happen anyway. So simply recognizing the fact that you were needlessly worrying is the first step. Um, And let me back up. I have a worksheet that I'm going to put in the show notes. So you can download that worksheet and you can work on these steps with me. So make sure you go get that. Step number two is to pray. That's huge. You know, if that's a part of your life, that has to come. Of course, the reason it's step number two instead of step number one is because I first have to recognize that there's something that I need to fix. Then step number two for me is to pray about it. I want to always remember that there's something bigger than me. Everything is not on my shoulders. I have God on my side to help me out. That's what he's there for. So that's number two. Step number three, do go ahead and plan. Okay, going back to my biblical advice, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Matthew 6, 34, and it says, Do not worry about tomorrow. Today has enough troubles of its own. And I used to post that, and I would I would have it on my visor, in my car, in my kitchen cabinet, in my bathroom, to remind me, don't worry about tomorrow. But notice that it doesn't say, don't plan for tomorrow. This is a big step for someone who's a worrywart, is to plan. And planning should require writing and or talking because look here's how the way here's the way it goes sometimes we sit down and we think or I do and I think okay I'm going to plan this I'm going to think about this and I just sit and think I'm going to plan well that that should be a left brain activity logic and planning and information my right brain though is so powerful that it butts in and then the base of my brain takes over and all these emotions come in and now it's very difficult to really think because I'm full of emotions. But if you're writing, then the left part of your brain stays focused and you're able to do something about it. For example, if I have a new speech coming up, I spend a lot of time planning. Some people spend more, some people spend less, but I spend a lot of time. And the reason I do is because I know if I'm well planned, I will worry less. Period. That's the way it works. I will feel more comfortable with what I'm doing, even if it's new. And then I won't have that sense of deeper worry, but I need to write it down and I need to talk it out, oftentimes with people who will allow me to bounce ideas off of them. Step number four, journaling. People hate it when they hear journaling. 
But what I say, maybe I should not even use the word, but I do. Journal your concerns and I recommend you do it before you go to bed. So, and I think part of the opposition is sometimes journaling that you envision that you got to open up this diary. Oh, dear diary, I was sad today. And then you got to write all of your thoughts for an hour and it needs to be a novel. And none of that's true. I have a specific journaling tool that I use and that will be included in the show notes as well. So what I want you to do with that journal is to set up a scenario and walk through how you would answer or write down in each of the sections in the journal. Here's the scenario. I have a dear friend who is planning a wedding. She doesn't have the best relationship in the world with her fiance's family, and so she worries a lot about what life will be like after they get married. You know, things like, will the mother-in-law come over all the time? Will the sister-in-law be a problem? You know, what's going to happen with my life? So let's take a look if if she were to do this journaling tool, tool. The first part, number one, here's the thought. And this is basically you write down something specific you worried about. So she might sit down and write, I was thinking that after the wedding, we would have problems with my in-laws. Number two on the journaling tool. If you're worried about something, what's the evidence? So number two is you want to look at the evidence. Have you experienced it before? Is it likely to happen? So she might write down, I'm basing it on my experience so far. And she would write down some of her interactions. Because really you want to know if you have anything to base it on. If you have nothing to base it on, it does make it a little easier to worry less. Number three, is the thought true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or worthy of praise? And you can still have some negative things to write down that might be true or right or admirable. But you just want to ask yourself that question about the things you wrote down. Number four, what can I do to make the situation better? Now, what I recommend you do here is because you're trying to come up with a solution to something that's causing you worry. And so brainstorm with some people. Part of the reason we worry is that we don't think there's any other way, remember? And so part of that has to do with not seeing any solutions. So if we brainstorm with people, and I recommend you brainstorm with people who aren't involved in the situation because they want to have a new insight for you. And if it's someone who's very involved in the situation, then it tends to become emotional. So sit down with a group of people, explain what you're dealing with, and just brainstorm. Come up with a whole list of potential solutions. It doesn't mean that you'll do them all, but it lets you look at a list and say, wow, there are a lot of things that I can do. And you can pick the ones that you want to do there. So brainstorm, maybe you have two or three people, maybe you brainstorm for five minutes and there's no evaluation, you just make a list. Number five, I want us to end this journaling tool on a positive note, what would be a better thought? So a better thought for her might be, I'm going to have a wonderful life with my husband, my in-laws might be challenging. Do you see how that's different from, oh my my gosh, my in-laws are gonna be a problem, it's gonna be awful. It's different and it allows our thoughts to escalate when we word it in that negative way. So step number four was journaling. Let's move on to the the bigger picture here. Step number five, lose your focus. That's going to sound really weird to you, but what I mean is lose your focus on yourself and your problems. Um, We've talked before, I think I have, about the importance of being other-centered, of being giving, of serving, and it has an actual biological positive impact on your brain. So that's really good. So instead of focusing on yourself and your problems, 
focus on other people. Let those endorphins get released. Your brain is is capable of tracking not only what's good for you, but what's good for other people. So lose your focus on yourself. Volunteer. Write a note to somebody. You know, my youngest son is graduating from graduate school in just a few days, and he was a graduate teaching assistant. And he didn't know this, but he went to an awards night and actually got an award for the top graduate teaching assistant. And when he got the email after after the award ceremony, he got an email for the professor who recommended him and included there was notes the students had written. And it made my son feel so good, but you know what? It also made those students feel good to write that note that really lifted somebody out. So volunteer, write a note, help somebody who is in need. Anything to put the focus on something different. We are on our last step now. Finally, number six. Forever and ever, fill yourself up with motivation, inspiration, and education. Here's what I mean by this. Have a bookshelf full of books to help you through issues that you're having. I remember a few years ago, I was, in, I was invited to speak to this big event called the Monstars of Motivation. And it wasn't just a speech. It was a show. I didn't know this until close to time, but they told me we, it was going to be a show. There were going to be five speakers and dancers and singing and music and an auditorium with 400 people. And I found out that I was going to have to, they, they expected me to dance on the stage I'm not a big dancer. So I was kind of freaking out about this. I was well-planned. I was completely ready. But as we got in the car to go to the airport, it really started to concern me because how could I plan for an entertainment show? You know, this was not something that I did because I was going to be expected to go out from curtain all the way out to stage. So here's what I did. On the way to the airport, I told my husband, please let's stop at the bookstore. We stopped and I bought a book from Joel Osteen. I got it out of the self-help section and I read that book in the car and on the airplane, basically cover to cover. And because I knew by reading the cover, it was going to help me because he tells a story, Joel Osteen does, about taking over his father's church. And his thoughts were, will I ever fill his shoes? How will I ever do as great a job as he did? And I even talked to my husband about the book and he talked about having seen Joel Osteen in his early days and how much he's grown since then. But it reminded me that I was about to undertake something new. I probably wouldn't do it perfectly or maybe even great, but that I would do the very best that I could. I had prepared the best that I could. I was completely planned for it and I was ready. Was I still nervous right before I went on? Yes, the adrenaline was flowing, but I just kept saying to myself, this is excitement. This is excitement. I'm not nervous. This is excitement. I'm ready. It's going to be great. Even though my pulse was pounding. So that was number six, whether it's books, websites, classes like this, live events, always fill yourself up with motivation, inspiration, and education. So there you go, fellow worry warts. Six steps. Let's recap them. Number one, recognize that you are needlessly worrying. Number two, pray. Number three, plan. Step number four, Do some journaling before you go to bed. Number five, lose your focus on yourself and put your focus outward. And finally, number six, forever and ever fill yourself up with motivation, inspiration, and education. 
And let me say before we close it out, please understand that in this episode, I am talking about we worry words, although I do much better than I used to. I'm talking about the undue worry. I'm talking about the needless worry. Sometimes we we have concerns that are absolutely legitimate, that are very difficult to get away from. I've talked about this before, worrying about your children, having anxiety about your children. But what I'm trying to help you to do today is to give you some structure to to take your thoughts from the negative ones that wear you down to the positive ones that lift you up. And that is our time for today. I hope you learned something today about worry and that you will pass the show link along to a friend or two. You can find the show notes and get information if you'd like for me to speak at your next event, as well as the handouts I talked about at TammyWest.com. The monthly giveaway will come from leaving a comment on the show notes there on the blog, so be sure to do that. And finally, remembering our mental and emotional well-being goal, I hope that you will renew your thoughts every single day, adopt empowering language that prevents verbal harm to yourself and to others, and make positive mental and emotional choices every single day of your life. And until next time, consider yourself hugged.